this week on Rotten or Righteous, we have a great debate. It would not be cool what? if an untrained man just did surgery. We can have a backup there. We can Scott, like, be like, okay, I hope and pray, Hawkeye. as somebody who's never had an operation, that there's not like a shadowing program where if you pay $20 to the surgeon, he can walk you through my triple bypass. I didn't think of anything to start our podcast off this week. Hello and welcome Let's back. Talk about calling you Ringbanger. No. Hello and welcome back to Rotten or Righteous. The only show that proves just how wide the generational divide is. With me today, it's everyone's favorite boomer, Scott Judge. You know what cracks me up? Are you are you millennials? You're not a millennial, but my son calls me boomer. I am I'm a millennial. A are you a millennial? Yes. I was are born you millennials in... call me boomer? Yeah. My son calls me boomer. I That's call be... him millennial, but he's not a millennial. No, he's a he's like after the He's Gen Z he's a Gen Z, isn't he? Gen Z, yeah. Yeah, I don't all of all all of Those, you are nuts. You don't know the, what you're talking about. The other, no, the millennials are all in their 30s now. Calm down. We're cool. We can't stand Gen Z. We can't stand the generation after them. We all think they're they're nuts. But, man, you boomers yeah, well, sure did screw up the country for us. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> if I have one more middle-aged person come up and say, we're not, I don't understand why you can't buy a house. When I was your age, I had four houses. And paid off, yeah, well. paid off my college tuition, and uh, had forty-seven cars in the garage. I bought a eight-foot two-by-four the other day. I actually had to take a loan out against my house to get it. That's how expensive wood is now. I know gas just hit like four twenty-five down here. Yep, it is up here too. So. I'm Zach, and I'm sorry that you have to be here, and, uh, yeah. Uh, instead of talking about uh, financial woes, let's give you a piece of escapism, uh, which is our bread and butter. It's not. It's not. <laughs> if you listen to this show wanting, <laughs> wanting to escape the woes of your life, what you're really doing is just piling more woes onto yourself because now you have to worry why. Why are they still doing this? Chances but, are uh, you're going to be even angrier at the situation you're in, plus angry at us. And, oh, why do you put yourself through this? Hey, Scott, did you know that they're making a, uh, or they were making rather, a reality show based on Slip and Slide? <laughs> no. Doesn't that sound cool? Like, get a bunch oh. of professionals together and build, like, the most ultimate slip and slide ever? Well, yeah. Yeah, you go into the mountains, I mean, that could be some awesome stuff. Well, unfortunately, uh, NBC's ultimate slip and slide halts production amid reports of explosive diarrhea on set. <sighs> oh, 
just like you millennials, sometimes explosive diarrhea just happens. You just got to go uh, on. This story actually comes to us from Entertainment Weekly, and it's back from last year, June 12th, 2021. Uh, it begins, we sincerely hope you weren't eating when you came across this article. NBC has shut down production on its competition series, Ultimate Slip and Slide, amid an outbreak of Giardia on the Simi Valley, California set. According to the Centers for Disease Control Prevention, Giardia is a microscopic parasite found on surfaces or in soil, food, or water that has been contaminated with feces from infected people or animals, which, when swallowed, causes a diarrheal disease. Not what you want at the best of times. Very much not what you want on a set involving slip and slides. I am disgusted right now on levels I didn't know I had. For starters, why don't you put some clothes on going down the slip and slide, and why are you drinking on water? This is why I don't go to water parks, period. Oh. Because when you when you think that, about it, a, a public pool is nothing but a... It's a giant teacup where the people are the tea bags. Yes. You're just, yes. You're just swimming around in, in human tea. And, and no matter how hard you try, you go down some of them slides get water dumped on your head, some of that water is going to find its way into your mouth. And I... Oh. <laughs> Hold on. I got... You know what? This will be okay. I gotta get a Tic Tac. You're gagging me. News of the production shutdown was first reported by <laughs> The Wrap, which reports that up to 40 crew members fell violently ill on set. A source with knowledge of the production said an outbreak of... Awful explosive diarrhea led to people collapsing on set and being forced to run into porta potties. An NBC spokesperson confirmed the shutdown to Entertainment Weekly. Production was halted on June 2nd when at least one crew member on the series tested positive for Giardia. The show had nearly completed filming, with one week left in its scheduled production, and will not be returning to the original shooting location. A spokesperson for Universal Television Alternative Studios, which is producing the series, said in a statement to Entertainment Weekly, The health and safety of everyone on our set is our number one priority. So out of an abundance of caution, we have made the decision to stop production of Ultimate Slip and Slide at the current location. We are in the process of determining next steps in order to complete production. Hosted by Bobby Moynihan and Ron Funches, neither of whom were infected, a network spokesman pulled the rap. Ultimate Slip and Slide is described as, quote, a fresh take on Whammo's iconic 1960s outdoor game that takes the spirit of the classic backyard slide and transforms it into a real-life water park full of gigantic slippery rides with the chance to take home a big cash prize and a chance to get violent diarrhea, according to a press release. The series is slated Ugh. to premiere Sunday, August 8th, following the Summer Olympics clo closing ceremony. Whether it will make that pr premiere date now seems, well, to be a bit of a crapshoot. We'll see ourselves out. <laughs> Was that, is that actually what it said, or did you insert that? Yes. No, no, it said that. Okay. And, Ugh. uh... I would also like to point out that the show was axed by August 3rd. They only had a week of filming left, 
but the price of rebuilding these slip and slide sets was so astronomical that it wouldn't be worth it. So with a week left of shooting, they scrapped the whole show. Man. I mean, talk about a crappy deal. You know, I don't I don't know how many listeners we're getting per episode, but my guess is from this point on out there'll be fewer <laughs> for this episode. I wish I could restart the There's podcast guys. again. Let me pretend to restart the podcast again. Um, <clears throat> hello and welcome to Rotten or Righteous, the <laughs> podcast equivalent of catching Giardia. Um, <laughs> I'm almost wondering if you shouldn't put that at the end now. Yeah, we infect. At least people would have gotten the bash episode. Yeah, we infect people with your Giardia. Um. <sighs> This week, we are going to continue our, our retrospective, our professional retrospective on the cultural touchstone that was MASH. And this week, we are going to start with an episode that originally aired January 28, 1973, titled, Sometimes You Hear the Bullet. Sad episode. Yeah, it's this is a comedy, guys. All right, Frank and Hot Lips. <laughs> this one. Frank and Hot Lips are engaged in a romantic evening, which comes to a screeching halt when Frank's back goes out. As Hawkeye and Trapper tend to him, they learn Frank has applied for the Purple Heart. He claims to have slipped in mud coming back from the showers. And Margaret insists that it qualifies, since it happened in a battle zone. So basically, Frank throws his back out, canoodling, in the adulterous sense, with hot lips. his heifer. Right. No, not right. What? (laughs) He was was dipping... (laughs) His heifer. No, that doesn't. That's still. I know what you're going for. You're trying to. Uh, you're trying to, to to channel your inner your inner Samson, who got all mad at the Philistines for plowing with his heifer, which he called his wife. <laughs> that doesn't mean that you could just call every woman a heifer. But he was Some dancing. Of them you can. He was dancing with hot lips, and then and then proceeded to do a very low dip where his back just ended. It just said, nah, we're not doing this anymore. Which I'm surprised that he can have back problems seeing as he's so spineless. That's true. Oh! Oh! Burn on an imaginary character that doesn't really exist. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. But, and so... Instead of admitting that he hurt his back, engaging in a torrid affair with uh, Hot Lips O'Houlihan, he lit, he uh, instead makes up the story about him slipping in the mud, and then has the gall to po- or to uh, uh, to apply for the Purple Heart. You know, Scott, I have a um, I have a, a very well, obviously, this isn't like a hot take. Like nobody's going to congratulate me on what I'm about to say. No one's going to go, "Oh, Zach, you're so, you're so uh, understanding of people's plights." But 
in my in my heart of hearts, I have a very soft spot for the Purple Heart recipients, and I'll tell you why. I uh, before he passed away, I used to be friends with a World War II vet who fought in the Battle of the Bulge, and mm-hmm. during the fight, his clip was hit by Nazi fire, sending shrapnel into his face. Now, this would qualify someone for the Purple Heart, but he was immediately taken POW by the Germans, where he spent the next several months in this POW camp. So, when he was finally saved by the American forces, his wounds were healed. But because there was no medical record of the shrapnel hitting his face, he was never able to get his Purple Heart. And that's all he wanted, was to have that Purple Heart to give to his family once he passed. And he wasn't able to get it, uh, despite wow. letter write, writing campaigns to Congress and everything else. But Frank Burns can just go ahead and and dip his honey, and uh, boom, Purple Heart. Yeah, Frank Burns can shove it. And as far as uh, I'm concerned, Frank Burns can eat worms. You know, I really hate that fictional character who's not real. Yep, that's, that's horrible about your friend. Yeah, it is. But it's kind of cool. You know that famous picture of all the soldiers marching through the Arch de Triomphe in France? Mm-hmm. You'd know it if you saw it. What's interesting is he had, uh, we would talk about the war all the time. And he would tell me stories. But he pulled out this book and showed me that picture. And uh, he circled it. And he goes, that's me right there, like four rows back. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I mean, he was really in the thick of it. But, um. But I digress. This show is sad enough without me adding more sadness to it. But That's if you true. listen, but I know a lot of members of Congress listen to this. If you could get a, a hold of me, um, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I'm, a lot of influential and important people listen to this show. If you could get a hold of me, I would love to still retroactively get uh, his his Purple Heart uh, for his family. But still, yes. Frank call that post posthumously? Yeah. Posthumously? Yep. Something like that. Anyways, so Frank's asking for this purple heart, and this is something that, you know, Hawkeye and and Trapper and Henry just can't can't believe because whew, Frank is such a turd. Frank is the product of Giardia on a slip and slide yes. set. But Before they can tell Frank off, the situation is interrupted when a childhood friend of Hawkeye's, Corporal Tommy Gillis, arrives at camp. And Gillis, Hawkeye, and Trapper head back to the swamp to get blasted. (laughs) What? What? What do you mean? What do you mean, Zach? They're gonna go mess around with with like grenades, or what do you mean get blasted? Listen, Scott, I didn't write this summary. I didn't write the words (laughs) "get blasted." I'm just reading what someone else wrote. It makes you wonder. You think they're going to get drunk? Yeah, I think that's what they're referring to. And uh, Tommy tells Hawkeye that he's writing a book about the war titled You Never Hear the Bullet. To be told not from a reporter's point of view, but a soldier's. Tommy is there on the front lines with the rest of the fighting men. And that title comes from the fact that... In World War movies, apparently, you would always hear the the ricochet of a bullet before the the leading man or the 
the handsome young soldier that's supposed to make it home gets shot. But in his own platoon, the handsome young man got shot and his last words were, I never heard the bullet. Which, you know, laugh track goes crazy when he says that. I mean, I held my sides. Oh, I was in stitches, Scott. Did you raffle? Oh, my. I had to get three tissues of all the tears that were streaming down my jovial face. You know, the old westerns, you'd always have the ping. Yeah, that was the old bullet, western. Bullet, 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 bullet. <laughs> 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 you know. Bullet, 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 bullet. <laughs> you know how those old westerns sometimes they fire a gun and it just would bang. Bullet, 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 bullet. <laughs> you know how bullets sound. That's where they get their name. <laughs> there was no ting, no ping, or wing, or no zing. It was just... Bullet, 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 bullet. <laughs> That's just how it was. Why do you think they're called bullets, Scott? It's because of the noise they make. <sighs> so stupid. <sighs> <sighs> but before they can cry about the uh, title of this book, uh, Wounded Arrived. And Tommy heads back to the front line. One of the wounded is a very young man, Private Wendell Peterson, played by Opie himself, Ron Howard. You know, it's kind of neat how we find out where some of the characters are from. I mean, we knew that we knew that Hawkeye was from Maine, Klinger was from Toledo, Radar was from Iowa. This young boy, this Wendell Peterson, if I remember correctly, he is from Mayberry, North Carolina. And sadly, Mayberry, North Carolina is not a real place. Well, but it is a real. No, it's not. It's dumb. It's dumb. It's dumb. And I'll tell you why it's dumb, because Mayberry was filmed in the town of Mount Airy, North Carolina. Mount Airy. Uh Can I ask you a question? If everyone comes to your town thinking that it's Mayberry, why don't you just change the stupid name? Well, that's a good point. Well, wait, but seriously, would you rather live in Mayberry or Mount Airy? I'd rather live in Bullet, 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 Bullet Boulevard. <laughs> Where See, that should be the title of this episode. I don't even know how you would spell it. I mean, it, you if don't you know. spell it correctly, it doesn't make sense. Bullet, <sighs> Bullet, Bullet. Yeah. We'll have to say something else because that can't be the title. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, Ron Howard also directed uh, the Tom Hanks-led Da Vinci Code trilogy. He mm-hmm. directed How the Drench Stole Christmas. Mm-hmm. And he's the narrator on the sitcom Arrested Development. Now that I did not know. And he is also the 1990s Bald Man of the Year from Hair Club Monthly. So Barney can no longer rub his red head for good luck. Well, what happened, Opie? I was going to rub your head. There's a thought here, Zach. If we're not dead by the... (laughs) 
if we're not dead by the time we review all the MASH episodes, let's review all the Andy Griffith episodes. Andy! Andy! I got shot and all I heard was bullet, bullet, bullet! Oh, goodness. (laughs) So anyways, Ron Howard's here now, and he's there for a bad appendix, which is good because it'd not make a lot of sense if he was there with a good appendix. He, uh... (laughs) It's it's very insightful. He seems really worried. He really wants to get back to the fighting, but Hawkeye tells him that he's got to stay and and rest for a few days because he just had surgery. Later, Hawkeye catches old Opie trying to hotwire a jeep to get back to his unit. You see, he thought he was going to be sent home because, well, Opie is only 16. And Aunt May must be worried something awful. Yep, Aunt May. Wildy! <laughs> Have you seen Opie anywhere, Hardy? Can you imagine how Andy's going to be when he finds out that Opie was trying to hotwire a Jeep? Well, I'm going to say something. I'm awful disappointed in you, Opie. <laughs> Why do you need to watch this show? You got the whole freaking cast right here. I can tell you what, it's actually pretty good. Can you do an Otis T? Or not an Otis T, just an Otis, not an Ernest T. No. I know you can do Ernest T, I've seen it. Nope, that's all I got. Anyways, he's 16, but man, he wants to fight. And actually, he went to war to impress his girlfriend back home so he could earn a medal, be a hero, and maybe touch her brawl. He can- <laughs> I'm trying to read along with you here, and I where did it say that at? Wendell's not even 16 years old. And Opie confesses that he used his brother's birth certificate to get in. And his name is is really Walter. Which we all laughed and laughed because what a stupid name is that? Walter. But he begs Hawkeye not to turn him in. And Hawkeye agrees after getting Walter to return to bed. More wounded arrived. And one of the most hurt is... Well, Corporal Tommy Gillis, Hawkeye's good buddy who's writing the, writing the book. And Hawkeye works on him, but it proves to be no use. And Tommy dies on the table, muttering in amazement that, unlike his book title, he actually heard the bullet that did him in. Afterwards, Hawkeye stands at the doorway of the OR crying like a little baby. Sissy. This is war! Suck those tears back up in your eyes. We got killing to do. That's what Opie said. Can you imagine if you could do that? Could you, if what, you could just s- go kill somebody? No, if you could suck your tears back up in your eyes. Ooh, I would think that would hurt. Why? Why would you think that would hurt? I don't know. It they didn't. Like it they hurt. didn't hurt. They didn't hurt coming out of your eyes. I know. But so why would they hurt going back in? 
because now the river's going backwards. It's an unnatural flow. Does the hurt... Does Visine hurt? It's more like trying to put toothpaste back in a toothpaste container. But it's not. <laughs> trying to put... Uh, this is why you keep losing your teeth. You didn't know that toothpaste can came, came in a tube. <laughs> in a tube. A container. I have mine as a Ziploc bag. Afterward, Hawkeye stands in the doorway of the OR, and Henry tries to console him by pointing out the two rules he learned at combat school. Number one, young men die. And number two, doctors can't change rule one. And Hawkeye goes, thanks, man. That's just what I need to hear, Henry. You sure know how to pick a guy's spirits up. He cheered me up. And then he spread his legs real wide and said, hey, will you mind kicking me right there? Just right dead center, please. I bet you anything. That would really make my day. As hard as you can. What a profound statement, though. I mean, it's it's nothing new. He realized this. But, man, it was like when he said that, it kicked me in the gut when when that scene was over. You know what? It got me, too, Scott, because I think that I finally got a word. And my crossword I was doing while I was watching this episode, that I that's yeah, just been doctor. eluding me. No, I, yeah, I don't know what it was. I can't even remember what it was, but man, I was I've been working on that crossword for a good thirty minutes. I finally got it. Oh well, good. I'm happy for you. Hawkeye decides then and there to do something to avoid another senseless death. He rings up the leader of the Korean army and says, Hey guys, can we can we just stop? Please. Just please. Just can stop. Just, Can't we all get along? Can we just go home? I love your guys' food. I love egg rolls. And the Koreans guys is like, egg rolls are Chinese. War's still on. Click. And that's how Hawkeye didn't win the war. But there was something else he could do. He could get Opie back to Mount Airy. He tells Major Houlihan... To get the MPs, because Private Wendell is really Walter. And he's only 15 years old, and should be sent home immediately. And Walter threatens to never forgive Hawkeye for the rest of my life for what you done! And Hawkeye hopes that it's a long and healthy hate. It's a comedy. Shows a comedy, guys. And the final scene yeah, that's usually and the final scene that's usually omitted from most syndicated airings, Colonel Blake starts to officially give Frank his purple heart, but opens the Vox to find a purple earring instead. Outside, Hawkeye pins the purple heart on Wendell's uniform as a way of making up for breaking the promise of not turning him in. This way Wendell, or rather, Walter gets what he wanted. He gets to see his girlfriend's bra strap, but he won't be on the front lines no more. Um, All right. It's a, it's a sad episode. Sometimes you hear the bullet. And sometimes you don't. And sometimes the bullet goes, bullet, 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 bullet. So stupid. Oh, goodness.
Dear Dad Again is this next episode's title. And you know it's my favorite when Hawkeye writes letters to his dad. Oh, boy. Hi, Dad. Hi, Dad. It's me. Still over here in Korea. And Hawkeye's latest letter to his daddy. (laughs) (laughs) That just sounds a little weird. Hey, Daddy. Do Do you still call your dad Daddy? No. Scott, do you know how you would want to hug your fake daddy? <laughs> oh, good times, boy. Good times. <laughs> We've been doing this show too long. All right. And Hawkeye's latest. I we're going we're gonna to review that again this winter, aren't we? Of course we are. And we've got to find out our victim, though. We have to pick, pick who we're going to make watch it with us. Klinger's attempts to get out of the army have led him to mail order a new wedding dress, which Hawkeye says is is tasteful without being gaudy, but needs a slip. And he also gives Klinger a look and says, a white wedding dress? To which Klinger goes, what? I'm a virgin. And walks away. (laughs) That was a... You know, and Klinger, Klinger was so thankful for the advice. I mean, he's like, "Yes, I've got a, I've got a whole tent full of slips." Yeah, the the sun was shining through and showing everybody his little Klinger, and he needed the slip. Father Mulcahy is planting a garden when his back starts to hurt, so he gets a purple heart. This one. Father Mulcahy's working on a garden, his back goes out, but it's a good thing that this new doctor, Captain Adam Casey's there to crack it for him. And I gotta be honest with you, he cracks Father Mulcahy's back, and all I want is for him to come over to my house and do the same thing to me, because I know that feels good. Oh, a good back cracking. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. Look good doing it, too. And Father Mulcahy immediately felt better. Did you just say that... He looked good doing it. Did you just go, mm, and then, mm, that Dr. Casey sure looked good doing it, too. He did. <laughs> I mean, for not for not, for not not being what we're going to just find out here in just a moment, he looked very good at what he was doing. Okay, and Scott's not-so-subtle hint. After fixing Mulcahy's back, Casey admits to the father that he's not really a doctor. He's an oh, act- oh, my back. He's an actor. On the set of a military dramedy. Oh, stop it. You had to bring that up, didn't you? None of them are really doctors if we get down to it. I don't I don't think Alan Alda has ever really done surgery. Not one time. This show's a whole bunch of liars. Cool. No, it wouldn't. wouldn't. It be cool if he did, though? No, it wouldn't. It would not be cool what? if an untrained man just did surgery. We can have a backup there. Scott, I hope and pray, as somebody who's never had an operation, but let's be honest, I don't live the healthiest lifestyle, so operations are in my future. As someone who's never had an operation, I hope that there's not like a shadowing program where if you pay $20 to the surgeon, he can walk you through my triple bypass. See, I think it would be a great program. We could take an appendix out, maybe a gallbladder. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, see, you cut the wrong ventricle there, but don't worry. Everybody makes mistakes. 
what? For another 20, I won't tell anybody about it. Um, oh, shoot. <laughs> oh, you have glaucoma? I can take care of that. Oh, you filled their IV up with pine saw. <laughs> you scamp. <laughs> Oops, sorry. You're an idiot. <laughs> smell better. It smells lemonly. <laughs> it's the most this is the cleanest smelling corpse I ever smelled. <laughs> you, may, you, may, you may smell some lemon fresh discharge coming down your face for a while. You, you go you go down to the autopsy room and they do the Y cut. I can see why you die. That big black lady pops out. That's a power of pot salt, baby. And then just runs away. <laughs> Dude, what? That'd be a great commercial. Oh my goodness, perfect. Pine saw, not good for IVs, great for mopping floors. So Hawk or so Father Mulcahy, he learns that Casey's not a doctor. Meanwhile, Hawkeye and Trapper have a bet that uh, nobody notices anything around camp, that he could walk into the mess tent buck naked and no one would notice. Naked. And it nearly works. Nobody notices until one guy does notice. What a what a profound statement this is, mash.fandom.com. Nobody notices until one dot guy does. <laughs> they ain't lying. Well, that's I think that's how noticing works. Across the board, nobody notices until someone notices. And he drops you know, his tray. Typically, typically he wasn't naked either. He had boots and a hat on. And let's be honest, Scott. They try to do that joke where he walks from the swamp to the to the mess tent and a whole bunch of different things come in the foreground to block out. But it, yeah. the, the, those pieces of wood did not good, do a good job. He was wearing flesh-colored briefs. Which I say, I say if you're going to do a show where you're going to play off that you're butt naked in front of people, just go for it. Nobody notices that Hawkeye's naked until somebody does. And a guy drops his tray and everybody claps because... Hawkeye's cute. And I will say... You know, that, was a, that was a thing back in the 70s. Everybody was streaking in the 70s. I was, you go into town, you'd see at least two guys running down the street, butt naked. So everybody gives Hawkeye a round of applause for being naked, which, you know, I'm used to that reaction. Anytime I'm naked, same thing happens. Everybody stops what they're doing. It's involuntary. They have to clap. A good joke at this point was Hawkeye immediately covers up his uh, chest before realizing what he's doing, and then finally covers up his private first class. Other other parts. See? See what I did there, Scott? Which made me wonder. I mean, that was a, I, you shouldn't be going into the mess tent naked anyway. But <laughs> I mean, but if you're plan, going why, to. But if you're yeah, going I mean, to. cover up? I mean, what's, why are you so embarrassed now? You walked in there naked as a jaybird. Because nobody noticed until someone noticed. I think I read that in the synopsis. <laughs> Meanwhile, Radar takes a correspondence high school diploma course and cheats. Although, Henry tries to give him the test legitimately and then realizes what an idiot Radar truly is. And so he's like, I'm not going to mess with this. And so he just passes him. Burns and Hot Lips have a fight and are temporarily no longer dating, which causes Burns to get blasted and hang out with Hawkeye and Trapper. 
driving them crazy, singing show tunes all night long. And eventually, Casey is caught for impersonating a doctor. It appears that, in reality, he is an unqualified sergeant called Schwartz. Because there's not enough penis euphemisms in this episode. Spaceballs, <laughs> and he has lived a finish. life. Go ahead. No, no, finish your stupid quote. I was just good. made a Schwartz be with you. I knew what you were gonna say. <laughs> it turns out that uh, this this Schwartz guy has been basically living his life like Leonardo DiCaprio from the movie Catch Me If You Can, because not only has he impersonated a doctor, he's also impersonated a teacher, a lawyer, an engineer, and several other professions I can't remember. And he succeeded at doing all of them, but he was always unqualified to do it. And he explains to Hawkeye that he's an idiot savant. He has the talent for anything, but doesn't have the patience And I laughed so hard at that. (laughs) You want to know why I laughed, Scott? Because he wanted to be a doctor, but he didn't have the patience. (laughs) What a a great show. What a great show. Uh, Yeah, yeah, let's get... He couldn't be bothered to to get a formal education. Hawkeye promises... (laughs) Not to report Casey if he promises not to touch a patient again without a license. But he also tells Casey to call him right away the moment he gets one. Because he's going to be a ding-dang-darn-fine doctor. And what you don't know is that Schwartz changed his name to Fauci. (laughs) And that's the truth story of how Anthony Fauci became in charge of Corona. You know, I'm laughing. It would be about the same age for him, though. Yeah, it's a true story, Scott. Down in the uh, Unknown Facts, it says this is actually the story of Anthony Fauci. Anthony Fauci. He never did get his his medical license, but he's making too much money on this Rona to ever, ever admit that. Um, In the final scene, Hawkeye thanks his dad for sending him his tuxedo. And he wore it at the camp's No Talent Night, a fundraiser for Korean refugees. And at the end of the episode, Casey comes to say goodbye, just as Hawkeye finishes his letter. But this time, Casey... Well, he's pretending to be a priest. See, this is what I love about this show, Scott. It can make you feel like someone punched you right in the gut. Because Hawkeye lost his best friend one minute. And it could do something... Absolutely stupid, like try to sneak a pun into a conversation that Casey didn't become a doctor because he didn't have the patience. Oh, look at this. Research notes, fun facts. You can clearly see Hawkeye is wearing GI issue underwear in several shots during the scene where he goes to lunch nude. In some shots, you can even see that he's wearing trousers with a belt. If his lower legs didn't need to be seen. Yep. Oh, here's another fun fact. Hawkeye ends his letter to his dad with kiss mom and sis. In a later episode, his mother's dead. And by season four, he's an only child. What a fun fact. (laughs) Parents dying is always a fun fact. 
my dad will not die forever because he's immortal and I love him too much. But if he ever does, that's how I'm going to announce it to people. On Facebook? Hey, Facebook friends, fun fact, my dad died. Why is that a fun fact? I don't know. Why is that a fun fact? That's exactly my point. <laughs> so did you see the, the first one that the character of Captain Casey was inspired by a life uh, the life of Ferdinand Waldo Damara, who impersonated a ship's doctor on board a Canadian destroyer during the Korean War? Yeah, but let's be honest. Canadian destroyers... successfully on a number of casualties. See, it can be done, Zach. Yeah, of course. You know what's funny, really? Uh, what's really funny is that... What's that? I'm pretty sure the Canadian Army, all they do is shoot bullets made out of maple syrup. <laughs> and I bet they also go, bullet, bullet, <laughs> bullet, bullet. <laughs> they go, oh, sorry, eh? I didn't see you there. I didn't mean to shoot you. Sorry about uh, that. Eh? This show's great. It's real highbrow. Oh. All right, for Rotten or Righteous, I'm Zach. He's he's not Zach, he's the ring banger. And that is Jabba. And we... The Hutt. Jabba the Scott. And we apologize, because listening to this podcast surely didn't make your day better. But it could have been worse. For example, like on May 12th, 1937, when George the Sixth bumbling coronation was thrown for a loop. The last thing the shy and reserved Prince Albert wanted to wear was the British crown. Indeed, upon hearing the news that his older, far more charismatic brother, Edward VIII, was determined to abdicate the throne in order to marry his twice-divorced American mistress, the prince, by his own account, broke down and sobbed like a child. But duty beckoned, and by the time of his coronation as George VI on May 12, 1937, the reluctant sovereign had, despite widespread concern over his fitness, he rallied his considerable inner strength to answer the call. The only problem was, as the new king retained his regal composure during the sacred ceremony, everyone else around him seemed to fumble. The day began with an unwelcome wake-up call at 3 a.m., as someone thought that might be a good time to test the loudspeakers outside Buckingham Palace. This was followed by even more noisy disruptions. Bands and marching troops for, or, were lining the streets at 5 a.m., so sleep was impossible, the king recorded in his diary. I could eat no breakfast and had a sinking feeling inside. I knew that I was to spend the most trying day. And, though, or, and to go through the most important ceremony of my life. The hours of waiting before leaving for Westminster Abbey were the most nerve-wracking. Inside the Abbey, the bishops of Durham and Wells, whose job by tradition was to stand on either side of the king and support him during the ceremony, were anything but helpful. As George recalled, When this great moment came, neither bishop could find the words to the coronation oath. So the archbishop held his book down for me to read. But horror of horrors, his thumb covered the words of the oath. Worse, when the king stood and tried to move to his throne, he found one of the bungling bishops standing on his robes. I had to tell him to get off it pretty sharply. 
as I nearly fell down. Other aides struggled with their tasks as well. The Earl of Ancaster, for example, nearly stabbed the king in the throat as he tried to attach his sword. While the Duke of Portland and the Marquis of Salisbury each got their garter chains tangled with the fringes of the cushions upon which rested the crowns of the king and queen as they tried to pass them to the archbishop. Yet, despite the many coronation mishaps, the king felt spiritually invigorated by the ancient rite. And as it turned out, George VI became a great king, far better than his woefully self-interested brother, who would have been bravely leading his realm through the perils of World War II and the loss of the Empire in its aftermath. So you see, even if you're having a bad day because you're, you're listening to this, you still might be kink someday. <laughs> oh my. Good night, everybody. I just want to be king. How's this song go? Just like that, you got it. Don't lie. At hey. 16, that's exactly what he was doing. <laughs> you know, so it's not plagiarism because you're not reading verbatim. Hey, listen. Listen, Hawkeye. She said she'd show me her bra strap if I got a medal. Oh. You know, when I was 16, I probably would have done the oh same my. thing. Probably would have taken the same deal. Went to war to touch a bra strap. Nah, I just see one. Just be like, oh, I always wondered. Thanks, bye. <laughs> clink, 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 clink. That was all my medals jingling together when I was walking away. Clink, 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 clink. Clink, 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 clink. Bullet, 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 bullet. Yeah.